All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Strongman Winter Circle Podcast. I'm Nicholas Camby. This is episode 31 with today's guest of Mitchell Hooper of Canada. I'm going to start the show by saying thanks for coming on, but what the frick, man? You come onto the scene in your first year, make the finals of World's Strongest Man, second of the Giants Live Strongman Classic, second of the Giants Live Open, and third place of the Shaw Classic this past weekend. How surreal has this been for you, this this run of the last three or four months? Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the winner's circle, despite winning virtually nothing. <laughs> hey, you won, you won your group. True, true. There you go. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been wild. Uh, I'm, I'm really just taking it all in stride, uh, keeping it in context, keeping it in perspective, and uh, trying to just trying to enjoy the ride. I mean, you, you watch me, and I compete very differently to a lot of people where even mid-event, I, I can take the time to enjoy myself. If you look back at my log press from the Shaw, I did the, the second log in the log ladder for, for my first single, and I walked around to the 200-kilo log, uh, which I ended up narrowly missing. But uh, when people started standing up and going crazy, you watch my face, I'm, I'm literally smiling mid-event. Like I, I, I'm having a blast, man. Now, has, it kinda, has all of it hit you? Has it come, has it come to terms yet, or, do you, or does, it feel, does it feel real? You know, I, I put I put fairly little weight in actually what it is. And I think that that's the part of keeping it in context. I, I don't care that I'm verified on Instagram. I don't care that I have X number of followers or X number of people tell me that I'm, in, I'm an incredible weightlifter or whatever. Because I only started this a few years ago. And a few years ago, I didn't, I didn't think of this as the most important thing in the world. And I understand that literally 90% of people – could not care less. And I, I got a bit of a reality check as well because people kept asking me why I was going to Colorado. And I, I thought that saying, oh, do you know Brian Shaw? And I'd say, oh, he's running a comp and I'm competing against him. But <laughs> no one knew who Brian Shaw was. <laughs> so constantly just reminded that, you know, this is, uh, I'm famous in the right room, uh, but uh, I want to be, I want to be known for, for how I impact people rather than I'm a strong guy. And you've been pretty consistent. I've listened to some, some of the other podcasts and you keep mentioning the thing, just the impact and putting smiles on people's faces at the end of the day. Um, sure. But during this run, it's been kind of, it's been pretty nutty. Um, you've probably been in pretty much everybody on the scene besides Martins, Tom and Trey, uh, which is, it was pretty crazy. Kind of like split, split between uh, four contests with Novikov. Um, I almost compare that type of surprise onto the scene when Magnus for Magnus and, one world strongest man when he was the equipment tester in his first world strongest man he was the equipment tester he got called up to, to compete and he won his world strongest man so of course back in the 90s it wasn't as mature the sport wasn't as mature as it is today so i almost i almost compare that kind of surprise almost to that um of course i know you you mentioned saying uh magnus magnus is one of the toughest judges you met you hope that he wasn't in your lane but um oh, any comparison with him i think is pretty neat these these shot classic judges were ten times worse, and I told all them as well. <laughs> they were tough. Every rep you got, you, you definitely earned that shot. Now, was it was it looked like it was like kind of like uh, two judges per lane? Is that is that how they kind of did it? It was different on each event. They had a on timed events. They had a timer and a validator on the car leg press. <laughs> five or six screaming at us simultaneously. Um, but yeah, I, there there was one. There was one main judge for things like the the log press, for example. Then on the deadlift, there was a side judge and a front judge. Uh, but yeah, they they were uh, they really took their time in calling things, and there was some noise about soft lockouts at the deadlift world championship. So I think that that was fresh on their mind, and they wanted everything to be clean and up to standard. And obviously, Brian wants everything clean and up to standard. And as an athlete, it's actually more rewarding walking away from Shaw saying. I got five reps with the 110 kilo dumbbell then at giants. I might've, I might've been credited with six or seven uh, because a couple were, were quite close. It's rewarding walking away from something that challenging, but frustrating in the moment. <laughs> but yeah, like you said, uh, Brian's one of the most thorough uh, people out there. So he's going to be pretty thorough in his contest. Yeah. And, um, and to, to, to your point of the people who have beaten and haven't beaten, we could say that I've beaten everyone who's willing to compete regularly. <laughs> That's true. especially going back to back weeks but yeah how going back to back weeks how's the how's the body feeling right now pretty good 
pretty good. I, not to actually less neural issue than I thought. My my day today is is pretty full on. It's it's pretty stressful with with my work, and I think the physical stress of competing, the neurological stress of competing, is balanced pretty well by having downtime, sleeping in, uh, resting and relaxing, hanging out with the guys, all that type of stuff. So physically, the only thing I have going on is my right calf. Uh, it cramped halfway through the yoke. And if you watch the video back, it started cramping in warm-ups. And you can see just before I get into the yoke, I'm stretching out my right calf. So it cramped about halfway through. And obviously, you have no choice but to keep going. And it's just that feeling where you let a cramp really dig in. And it has residual tightness for four or five days. Uh, nothing major. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm in pretty good nick looking ahead to Arnold's UK. Now, like for instance, cramping up like that, are you, are you pounding salt? Are you pounding bananas on the sideline when that happens? Or are you just kind of going with it? Not really. It's just going with it. For me, hydration is just the biggest one. If I'm drinking water, traditionally that that is fine. Uh, but it's a challenge because uh, I'm, a, I'm a guy who loses a lot of water and you have to balance out the cramping with the, the feeling that you're going to throw up, drinking so much water. And it's probably something I could train a little bit better drinking while I'm training, but it's uh, I don't have a lot of patience for uh, minutia in my day to day life, and, and I consider that minutia to an extent. Well, getting it, getting your two gallons in, three gallons in every day. Yeah, just just intentionally filling up a massive jug to then train that during your training. Uh, it's it's just not something that I is, is top of my priority list. <laughs> that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, so I was mentioning a little bit of off air. Um, but we talked to Colin Bryce in the last interview um, and he considered you the smartest strong man that he's ever met. And he's met a lot of strong men. And that's a big statement from, again, someone that's been around the block. Um, now, why do you think that is? Is there, is there, what kind of impression did you leave Colin Bryce? <laughs> that's, that's loaded. It's a better question for Colin than it is for me, but I think there's a, there's a couple of elements to it, and I'm a, a very independent thinker when it comes to how I go about my my strongman. Uh, I've done a lot of different things with my life, and I think he's I don't think he's talking intelligence in, in the in the textbook sense, in the educational sense. Uh, I think he's talking more in terms of uh, how I think about life, and I think a lot of that ties back to I've, I've needed to think about life a lot, and, and for me, my personality. If I see something that's weak, I do everything I can to improve that, whether that's a social skill, whether that's a, a speaking in front of crowds, whether that's a log press, whatever it is, I just take a lot of satisfaction in, in doing that. So I expose myself to as many different things as I can. And uh, I think, like I said before, when it comes to strongman, I just I have everything in context more than most. I, I, I'm completely comfortable coming on a podcast like yours saying that family is much more important to me than strongman saying that I would rather go for a walk with my fiance than spend an hour in the cold tub. Uh, and things like going off to Australia and being around no family has shaped those types of views. Um, I, I also do have a, a bachelor's degree in science. I also have a master's degree in exercise physiology. So when it comes to my ideas around training, I think I'm one of the few strong men who would have a strong educational background and that type of stuff. And I haven't been brought up in the strongman dogma of how to do things because I just haven't been around long enough. Now, where do you think you gained most of that perspective from? Was there a kind of, is that through athletics as a young child and into your teens and twenties um, or? No, it's, it's just through life experience, really. Uh, there's, there's a bit where uh, a good anecdote I've spoken about this before is that this whole strongman thing, the most surreal bit is not is not about my performances. I, I pretty much know what I'm capable of, and I, I get a big kick out of saying, this is what I think I'm going to do, and then, and then going and doing it. But it's more, it's more to the fact of feeling as though I, I have a strong connections with people who I've met for a very short period of time or very few times, whether it be the strongman that I'm around, whether it's around the fans or whatever. Uh, I think that's, for me, the most surprising bit. Because when I was in Canada, I did my, uh, I did my bachelor's in human kinetics. I went off um, and was a head strength and conditioning coach for a pro basketball team. And throughout this whole time, I had the idea that if I knew enough and I was smart enough and knew enough information, I didn't need any people to help me get ahead. So in university, I, I didn't go to bars. I didn't go to parties. I had heaps of acquaintances. 
but I didn't particularly like speaking to people. Um, talking in front of crowds was a big issue for me. And I started to realize how those things would hold me back in a professional setting. Then I thought the best way to attack that, the best way to improve on that would be to go somewhere where you know nobody uh, and, and have no connection. So I, I went to Australia literally with the start date for uni, uh, an address where I was living, and, and that's it. Uh, then over that four-year period, made a bunch of connections, really improved uh, my ability to speak to people because I, I had no choice but to improve that. You know, you, you're going through all of these things. You're going through COVID with no family. You're going through holidays with no family. you got to make something work. And as challenging as that was, the most rewarding part of that whole experience was having a party at the end with about 75 people there, uh, none of which were family, all of which were close friends. And really for me, that was getting over a big hurdle. So I think I just have the perspective that I value improving as a person much more than I value improving in any sort of sport. So using strongman as a proxy to make myself a better person uh, is really what I want to, what I want to gain from it. Whether that's winning world's strongest man or deadlift record, I don't really care. Sounds like you like to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. (laughs) Uh, I am just so uncomfortable with, with comfortable, to be honest. You know, I, I, I have a business here um, in my hometown, an exercise physiology practice, and it, it just opened up three, four months ago. And in the early days, I was thinking about how to get clients, and I was thinking, I don't want to do anything that has to do with getting clients. I don't want to make cold calls. I don't want to go visit people. I don't, I don't want to do any of it. But I was so uncomfortable just sitting in inaction that I think that's probably the biggest difference between myself and, and other people who don't get things done. Mm, that's great. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about kind of like your strongman, a little kind of different approach and all, um, but how would you consider your strongman approach to training and competition? We consider like traditional, like running blocks, linear regression, conjugate, conjugate methods, or do you have a more like a uh, more like unorthodox approach? No, when it comes to when it comes to strongman as a whole, I mean programming falls in the same category. I just try to always zoom out and look at the bigger picture. Whether that comes to training and programming, whether that comes to periodization, whether that comes to recovery, all of that stuff, I find a lot of people cut off their nose to spite their face. As in they're they're so concerned with getting their recovery that their sympathetic system is on overdrive and they never actually fully recover because they're stressing about getting to their physio appointment and their ice bath and their this and their this. Where I think if I have my life stress, my sleep, and my nutrition, if I keep those three in order, I'm going to do fairly well in terms of recovery. Uh, when it comes to training, I know that progressive overload is king. I know that there's no real studies on people of our level. So you can't say that this is evidence-based. There's no evidence base. There's not enough of us. So we have got very little information to work off. And if you zoom out and look at the general scientific principles that that improve anyone's strength, you're talking progressive overload, you're talking change things from block to block, enough that it's a new stimulus, but not enough that it's a new neural pathway. You use those general ideas and you can you can go a long way. You, you don't waste 45 minutes, half an hour with a, with a warm-up, with warm-up exercises. You get a few more compound lifts and you're going to make it further than the person messing around with a, a warm-up that they consider to be specific, which doesn't particularly exist in the literature. Mm. You know, you, you touched upon one piece was, of course, the stress uh, throughout like a training cycle or throughout someone's day, especially within like the, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. Um, yeah one big component of my gym owner over at TPS and in, in Malden, he's, he's big into the RPR method. I'm not sure if you ever seen that, but it's, it's like the resetting of your parents, parents nervous system. So for instance, like um, a lot of it's kind of like massaging around, let's say like your, your shoulder, like where the, your shoulder and your ch- uh, pec minor connects like under the collarbone, but there's 17, 18 different uh, pressure points throughout the body. Um, but it's just a way to kind of help reset. So there's a better, um, body to um, muscle body connection. Oh, sorry, uh, brain muscle body connection and all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, do you think that's you think that's important in terms of strongman really taking the encounter of their, their their nervous system, their parasympathetic and sympathetic? Yeah, but again, I think for me, I'm a science guy. I'm an evidence guy, and even in my personal life, <laughs> to the bane of my fiance's existence, if she says something that doesn't fully make sense. 
I will ask and ask and ask and ask until something makes sense or can write it off completely. When it comes to resetting the nervous system from the surface, uh, I've never seen evidence to say that it can be done, right? Uh, that being said, every time you see a study, there's outliers on either side. There's people who it affects very positively. There's people who it, it affects negatively. And there's the average falls in the middle and it says, on average, it, it does nothing, right? That's everything that I've seen so far. So when I talk about sympathetic and parasympathetic, I think of the root of what each system is, sympathetic being fight or flight, parasympathetic being rest and digest. So if you're, if you're trying to improve your recovery and dampen your sympathetic nervous system through parasympathetic activation, I'm thinking of the most relaxing activities you can do. I'm thinking of sitting out by the lake, I'm thinking of walking the dogs. I'm thinking of having sex. I'm thinking of going for a therapeutic massage. All that type of stuff. I'm like, that's highly parasympathetic. All right. Excellent. Of course, I appreciate yeah, t- uh, giving that answer. Um, so I've listened to a few of your podcasts, of course, the one with big lows in between the strongman day, uh, strongman competitions at the world at world. So between the qualifiers and between the finals, you mentioned on the podcast that you thought you were going to have nerves, but you had no nerves heading into, um, these shows. Um, why do you think that is? At that stage, I think it was because my expectation for myself was so low. I knew what I could do or I, not expectation. Let's say pressure on myself. I knew what I could do, but just getting to Worlds felt like the accomplishment. The accomplishment was done. And so whatever I did there was just icing on the cake. Um, And ever since, even with every show, I feel it coming. I feel I'm waiting for an underperformance and then just the onslaught of like, oh, this, this, this. And so I felt more pressure probably before the – Strongman Classic at Royal Albert Hall. I was a bit nervous about how that one would go. Uh, but all in all, yeah, nerves-wise, it's lower than any other sport. And why, I, I can't give a good answer to that. Uh, I think right now, everything else in my life is going so well that Strongman is just a nice little addition to that. And I don't feel that I need to do well in Strongman to live a, a happy, healthy, productive life. I feel like it's just adding to what I'm already doing. All right, excellent. Um, but kind of staying on the topic of nervousness. So um, a lot of the listeners of our podcast, a lot of amateur strongmen, a lot of weight class, weight, weight class strongmen. Um, so like I see that you're, of course, taking on more clients in the strongman field. So if you guys are listening and you guys are interested in have Mitch do your programming, make sure you reach out to him. But what, how, what would you tell a young strongman to help with nervousness, nervousness in a competition? And like, how would you advise your clients and able to handle these nerves when you're when you're right before a competition or the day of? Well, I just think it's exposure theory. And it's not as though I've never been nervous about anything before. I've had full-blown panic attacks at work, like years ago at work, because I was nervous about something absolutely ridiculous. A nice old lady, and I was worried that I wouldn't be able to help her enough or whatever. Um, And same thing. I was nervous about speaking to people. I was nervous about speaking in front of crowds. So that's still the reason that I say yes to every podcast that I go on. That's still the reason that I'll go out of my way to grab the mic at every show and speak to the crowd because I know that that skill is trainable and I know that I have to speak to the crowd. I have to speak to people. And one of the most valuable things that I've done is do these podcasts, go back, listen to them, listen to my inflection, listen to my words, listen to how I communicate. And I had a big issue with that before. And now it's, it's improved dramatically. So if you're so nervous about competitions that it's hindering your performance in competition, the best thing that you can do is just get out there, get out there, get out there. And frankly, someone like Rauno Heinler, he, he gags like mad before the shows. And then for me, I'm, I'm sort of looking at it. I'm going, how much is this adding to your life? Because I've been nervous like that before, say before American football. And I hated it. I hated it so much, but I did it for a variety of reasons. Hey, hey, let's let's cool. dive in. What what position did you play? <laughs> Defensive end. All right. So yeah, tell yeah. us a little about your football career. Uh, I I played in uh, I played from grade six probably to grade twelve. Uh, played up into college. I liked the guys in high school, so I I do it for that. Uh, I found the culture in university pretty terrible the initiation culture the alpha males the macho culture 
I grew up with a mom and a sister. I'm not alpha. I'm not macho. That's, I don't want to fight. That's, it's just not me. Uh, so that's ultimately the reason I quit. And then I was so nervous about the, the games. I hated practices. I didn't like going to meetings. So all in all, it just wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't what I was hoping it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, f- football is a kind of great sport, but a little bit kind of listen to some of your podcasts. I feel like a lot of the experience you said you were also a hockey player, bowling, running. Um, you, you mentioned a couple other sports, golfing. Um, yeah. I feel, of course, a lot of times that experience competing in different levels, competing in different sports. Once you get to a kind of like a strong man playing, like personally, I, I wrestled and I was similar to Rano. My senior year when I actually didn't wasn't cutting weight, was going heavyweight. I was throwing up before every match just because the nerves just got to me. Um, but I think that kind of translated into kind of strong man just because I've seen so many matches at that point. I by the time I got to the strongman, even before my first competition, I had, let's say, 150 matches in high school and 150 matches in college. So mm-hmm. 300 times I had experience. So, of course, the nervousness kind of went away. So I'm kind of, even though uh, it seemed like uh, World Strongest Man was your fifth competition, I see it, it looks like you've had a lot of experience uh, putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. So I think that makes a lot of sense of why you're, you're cool, calm, and collected come, yeah. uh, come game day. Yeah, absolutely. And to wrap up the the advice for the people out there, if if it's so you're so nervous that you can't compete well and stop contributing to your life, then just put competing on the back burner for a bit and just go and enjoy your training. Get stuck into the community, stuck into the process. And it's hard to be super nervous if you end up competing around like your 30 closest friends. And I think the best part of Strongman is seeing someone get over that hump. The best part of Strongman is at the local level, not at the professional level, where someone's getting cheered for for the first time. When someone fails and recognizes that no one really cares. You know, and, and all of those experiences you just talked about, golf, golf. I, I, I worked under Tiger's coach for a little bit, and I was invited to go to a school down in Florida to, to work with him while I went to high school, and I said no. Uh, I stopped golfing to pursue American football. I hated American football. I played for a year in college, didn't like it, and left. Marathon running, I wanted to qualify for the Boston Marathon. I, I was 19 minutes short. And on the surf, bodybuilding, I did bodybuilding, and I came second last in, in like a local competition. So everyone looks at those and touts, touts me as like, oh, that's incredible. It's so cool. You've done all that stuff. And I look at all of those as like failure, 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 failure. And I come to Strongman and it's all going fairly well, but I've, I've failed at so many things before. I, I've maintained the perspective of this could go well, this could not go well, and my life moves on and I'm, I'm happy regardless. Well, I'm, I'm glad that Strongman is sticking. I think it's, it really suits you. Um, so kind of, I wanted to talk about your blistering yoke speeds. So <laughs> for instance, at World Strongest Man, I think, Evan was probably the only one that beat you. I think you and Kearney had the same around the same time, around like 11 seconds, 11.6 seconds. You, yeah. you still beat Novikov, who was a who was a great yoke runner. And then at the Shaw Classic um, with 1,100 pounds, you, you beat everybody by four seconds, which is an eternity of when you talk about like a, a regular kind of foot race. Like four seconds is a big that's a beat down when it comes to the yoke. Um, I was scrolling through a lot of your um, Instagram and I saw a lot of squat videos. Do you attribute your yoke strength to your squat videos or is there something else that attributes your great strength and speed in the yoke? That's a good pickup. That's a good pickup. I think squatting is probably the most underdone thing in strongman. And I believe that that was evidenced in the leg press at the Shaw Classic where a lot of guys couldn't, couldn't do one leg press. And when you talk about general leg strength, it carries over to all of your push presses, all of your carries, um, and then obviously your deadlift and squat events. So when it comes to strongman training, yes, I believe squatting is a very important part of doing the yoke. Uh, but I attribute it much more to my athletic background. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the, the biomechanics of running, running is the same range of motion as the yoke, as in very small knee bend to a powerful extension. And that doesn't directly translate over. But if you talk two things, one muscle fibers, it's always type one uh, muscle fibers when you're sprinting. Say when I was doing American football, uh, when I was pushing it up a hill, all that type of stuff. Uh, then when you talk about soft tissues, my plantar fascia, the soft tissues in my knees, my Achilles tendons, 
my uh, proximal hamstring tendons, my back from the joint, all of that, the soft tissues in the bones would be much stronger than someone who just decided to specialize in strongman. On top of that, a very common thing when, for people when they train yoke, particularly if you train yoke more than once a week, it's almost guaranteed you get some type of strain of your, your uh, tibialis posterior, which for people at home, it's that pain in your shin that if you go on the inside of your shin, you, you, you almost push under your shin bone. When that starts to get painful, inevitably with yoke, that's not something that I experienced. That muscle goes around the inside of your ankle, underneath the bottom of your foot, attaching on the base of your pinky toe. And, and that basically maintains your arch of your foot or assists it. And so people without strong feet, people without strong tibialis posteriors will have their foot collapse. And then it starts to cause them aggravating injuries. And at the pro level, it's, it's almost without exception that guys get that. And that's the limiting factor. And for me, I, I never, ever feel that. And I completely attribute that to marathon running. Wow. Very, very interesting. Um, I'm a big, uh, yoke is one of my favorite events. I, I think kind of like a, kind of dead on sprints was always a pretty good pickup in terms of like a foot speed. I think that carried on to the farmers as well, but it's uh, interesting. I think there's the component of running when it comes to running the yoke. So you gotta, I guess you gotta. If you know me, you know, I'm always on the run up early and home late. So having a three hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG one. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out walk get a walk before you run so you gotta be <laughs> without weight on your back before you can really throw 1100 pounds on there yeah, um, so i want to do something fun here so i'm actually gonna share my screen so you were talking about so like we were actually before i preface that so we talked about your yoke a lot of people talk about the awe of your deadlift but i think people don't give you enough credit when it comes to your pressing power um how was i was watching a couple of videos like 2 years ago like you were you were pretty decently you were doing like 285 295 and now after back to back weekends on the second day of the shot classic you're narrowly missing 440 after hitting 407 which is yeah. which is pretty nutty so let's i want kind of let's start, i want i want you to walk me through uh kind of some of your stuff so let's see i'm going to go you're going to show my back, Ben. <laughs> so, so let's see. So, oh, what a cover photo. Oh, you like that? That's uh, my dog. That's my uh, world's strongest wiener, in case you're... <laughs> right. You see, you see the, the last video I posted was a, a reel that my missus made with our dogs. Okay. Oh, I, I'll, I'll have to watch. All right, there we go. All right, oh, cool. Okay, you got this. Fantastic. So, Hmm. All right. So it's going to be a little sound. So this is, of course, you have the, obviously the 105, 185 first. Yep. Um, so clean's never an issue for me. For the first one, it was just about stabilizing it mm-hmm. and making sure that the lockout was solid. Yeah. I'm just going to pause it just because it's, it's a little bit, a little, no, little bit noisy. I thought I could mute on Instagram uh, because I, but I also did this. I also put it on my editor. So let's see. Editor. Okay. Cool. Hey, look, they pump up the crowd, pump up the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see. All right, so, of course, big. big So, first of all, I I actually went out before this event. I was the only competitor to do this. And I went out and I I lapped the 185 and the 200 before I started to warm up, just to get the feeling of what it was like. These logs themselves were, uh, 
I think they were powder coated. Regardless, they were super comfortable to clean. So I knew cleaning wasn't going to be the issue. And you can see when I clean it, I actually clean it a little bit too aggressively, take a couple of steps back because of that. Um, just the, the power of the crowd, um, it, it got me going a bit too much. Then it, it was just about having it uh, as solid as I can. I didn't want to reattempt this. Uh, my original plan was actually to go 200 first. Uh, but after several guys failed, I knew that something about the logs was more challenging on that day. Uh, I'm, I'm big into uh, push pressing the log. Uh, and I get probably 80% of my range from my legs. Um, then it's just about locking it up, um, looking at the judges, making sure it's stable. Uh, and then the whole time my plan was going 185, 200. All right. So, so it looks like it's very similar to... I would say that of some of the English strongmen, similar to kind of like Big Z. I don't know if you ever heard of um, his name is. I brought brought him up in the last podcast I did. His name is Shane Germain. He's a big proponent of like if you're doing like a like a strict dish push press um, to pretty much lock out your arms before pulling your head through. Is that kind of your your thoughts as well? That's just that's just a natural thing that started to happen to me. It's not really, it's not an intentional thing, but it's almost like I can't, I can't split jerk at this stage. So dropping my shoulders by bending my back means that my arms need less range of motion. So now did the big, so of course this log has the big caps to it. Did that, th- that throw you off at all? Nothing seemed to throw me off, but something threw a lot of guys off on the day. So potentially that was a factor. Um, but for me, I don't, I don't put a lot of, uh, mental energy towards blaming the implement for something. I think it behaved pretty much as the logs that I've used in training. And yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty steady. All right. So you go here, you finish. Now you're, now you've pumped up the crowd. You're smiling. You're having a good time. Okay. This is, this is literally just killing time because I knew I needed about 20 seconds before <laughs> I was going to attempt the, the 200. Uh, and you can see there, like, I'm literally smiling mid, <laughs> mid attempt. I'm not someone who needs to get overly angry or aggressive. <laughs> so he's there. So, so you have the big. Let's see, I'll get the guy out of the way. So then we have you have the big clean. Yeah, again, clean's no issue. Um, so it looks like you go. It's, I almost want to classify this as like a. It's almost like right the minute you press it, you go right into kind of like similar to like a kind of a jerk, but you go right into the bent press position. Yeah right there it was like locked out yeah like an inch from lockout and you yeah, so close all right? the way all the way back and all <laughs> you had to do was just pull your head look what so that did that left shoulder uh give out a little bit no it just the strength wasn't there uh no, no pain no issues in fact in training it'd been my right arm in the past that that was um mm. that was letting me down but um yeah i mean i just go into that position quite naturally and um, there's some good pictures of, of how hectic that bend is. Uh, but for me, that's just the most comfortable way to press. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not particularly strong statically when it comes to pressing, even though my pressing numbers are really good. So I have to find these little workarounds to be able to keep up with the big guys. Um, so I, I, so I kind of class myself as a kind of like a press specialist and I go around doing press seminars. So I always like to kind of kind of dissect it and can really get behind, really get the idea of, why people press it, but it's very similar to my friend of uh, J- Jesse Nelson. Uh, he does more of just a pure strict press, um, but he gets he'll get that far back, and and, and then of course squeeze his head through, right? Yeah. Ahead. Well, I, if I lock it out, there's never any issue bringing my head through. That's that's not a limiting factor at all. Mm. Um, but man, that was close. I, I reckon I held it up there for a good five six seconds, right? Eh? Yeah, that's <laughs> that was, that was pretty cool. But yeah. look at everybody on the crowd. Everybody's pumped. Uh, yeah yeah it was good that, that was a, that was a great environment now um so getting kind of back on task so so well, as mentioned before you really improved your pressing over time um uh, now you think do you give that to your training do you just give that to technique drilling or what do you think what do you think what can you what kind of light can you shed on the listeners familiarity with the implements is a big one uh, I really hadn't pressed a log much. I went from a 140 log to a 200 log in the span of six months or so. And I'm, I'm, I'm just new to the sport, right? I'm, I'm new. And the same thing happened with my push press going into Worlds. 
Well, I started that at 180, and my best got to 218, 217, something like that. Uh, just shy of 500 pounds. So I, I just believe that it's – honestly, it's getting the most out of my legs rather than my actual pressing. Uh, because if you look at that position, like I'm effectively in a bench press position, and I couldn't lock out 200 kilos. For a elite-level strongman, that's pretty pathetic when you'll see the guys literally incline benching mm-hmm. 200 reps uh, and i'm pretty excited to see when i actually increase my my static power to see what i can do when i add that on top of my legs but i i believe that i could be one of the best pressers in the world if i go through a couple of off seasons building up my triceps building up my technique a bit more pretty cool i'd love to see it um but um that is again still quite the press in even a short amount of time um, so of course, kind of moving on, I have a lot of kind of questions I kind of like ask kind of like other guests that we've had on, but if, in your opinion, um, what does it take to be successful at a, at a, at a high level in strongman? Well, I don't think you even need to say in strongman, I think just to be successful at a high level in anything you need, uh, you need to be committed every day. Uh, you need to accept that every day is not going to be perfect, but you got to go in and give a, a reasonable effort. Uh, you got to have some type of plan, some type of structure. You got to have some type of education around what you're actually doing, how you plan to progress, how you plan to, how you plan to improve. You got to have some direction, and I think you have to enjoy it. And I think that's true of strongman. That's true of business. That's true of, of many things in life. And um, strongman is really no different. And I think people create some sort of mystique around strongman, particularly for the heavyweight strongman. None of us eat 10,000 calories. Brian Shaw bites because he's six foot eight and has to. But seriously, you sit in the food court with all of us, and it's, it's the equivalent to your hungriest friend. That's literally it. <laughs> so it's, you know, we're, we're genetically built to be larger people. That's, we all tend to be larger. Uh, and that's it. I, I think the biggest part is, is just enjoying the training. Just Make sure that you have your priorities in line. Make sure that you get stuck into the community. Find some guys that you enjoy training with and, and make sure that that's at the forefront of your mind. And then everything else will take care of itself. I think what, what's underappreciated is how, how much genetics play a role and how far you're going to get. And if you accept the appreciation that you should have, it's finding out where your pinnacle strength is or where your peak performance is, irrespective of where that lands you in the world then that's what the journey is about. Because too many guys will, too early on, push themselves way too hard in many facets of the sport. And it's not fun. And they think they're going to get somewhere they're not going to. And they're just not built for it. And they get hurt. And it, it turns into a real negative thing. Mm. Um, I think, but you mentioned a lot of it. You have to kind of enjoy your training, enjoy competing, enjoy just the, of course, the thrill of getting stronger and better. Um, I always say that, like, for instance, if, if strong, if you're doing a strongman competition and they took away the money, took away the the lights and the cameras, will you still be doing strongman? And I I always say yes because I, I do it for the thrill of lifting and then the thrill of proving myself. And I think that's yeah. what it takes to really be there. I think that I think the guys that you see at the high, highest levels are there because they still love the love the sport. Um, and that's a little bit kind of what I've uh, taken up. Um, so Mitch, um, this is always a fun one. So sometimes guys will answer in terms of a certain event or sometimes guys will talk about it's a kind of a progression, but when did you realize your potential in the sport? So when did you realize that, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty special. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> After I won uh, New South Wales state title over in Australia, it wasn't far off of when world's strongest man was happening. And this was in 2019. And I looked at my numbers, I looked at their numbers, and I thought if I did a couple of things, I could be right where those guys are. And unbeknownst to me, there's so many factors that go into just the numbers you read on Strongman Archives. Uh, but that's, that's, I do have a, a distinct moment where I thought I'm, I'm going to commit to this as a, as a real competitive sport. Wow. So it was right after that first, that first show? That would have been my... That would have been my third show. Third show. All right. Well, so so very early. Um, so this this is an interesting question. So this is kind of a little bit looking to the future. Maybe I'm kind of preparing you for, for something, but something again, something that's cerebral yourself. I imagine you're playing ahead. Um, so 
I, I would compare myself in a sense right now to Evan Singleton. Last year, we both had really great years. Um, right now, we're kind of both kind of a little slumping. Like we both kind of been banged up. But the difference between me and Evan is that he's actually still competing and I'm, I've been sidelined. Um, so he, we both had like this rise of success in the sport. And now we're kind of having a little tough in our sophomore slump. But how would you, going forward, how, what, what would you do to avoid that type of sophomore slump? If like next year in 2023 or 2024? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I don't really know. I, I haven't been there. So uh, we'll see. It's it's something that I'm aware of. You know, it can only progress for so long before something gives. Uh, but you got to be able to listen to your body. Uh, you you got to be able to take an off season. And I believe the most important thing to avoid that is having an outside objective experienced opinion, which is why I've brought laws on because I have identified that as something where I'll hold myself back. And frankly, at this stage, I, I don't believe that I, I need to get stronger. I believe I just need to get more experience. And I just need uh, to be a little bit smarter on certain events. You know, I, I've only done stone runs with Tacky five or six times ever. <laughs> so can I expect myself to be good and consistent? Absolutely not. So I need to find ways to get out and train. That. I need to find ways to get more exposure, get more experience. And that's the only reason I'm competing so much this year. Um, but how strong man works. I, I have a comp in, I have a comp that I'm not allowed to talk about towards the end of the year. Then I have a comp in, uh, I might have one in January in Australia, then uh, potentially the Arnold's in America a couple months after, then Worlds a couple months after. So you're, you're pretty much always in prep for something. And I don't think I'll really see it as my rookie year, sophomore year. I don't really even see myself as a rookie anymore. I don't really put any weight into that. Because in the end, I've been in the gym for as long as these guys have, and I don't see the kid doing that in front of people as a different thing than doing that in front of nobody. Oh, excellent. Uh, going back to talking about laws, is he working with laws? Is he? Is he? Is it just like having a big, knowledgeable uncle telling you, <laughs> telling you about his days and kind of relating to what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, and you know, he, he's exactly what I've needed from him. Uh, I think he understands his role really well. Uh, where I know the I know the theoretical side really well, and that is I think that's more important for people who are getting started in the sport, where you have solid understanding of injury prevention and all that. But at my level, he's there to give me the advice on the things I don't know, and I could give you heaps of examples. But the most recent one is uh, he just sends me a, a voice note this morning saying, "Hey, I was thinking about ways that you could be more consistent." variables that we could take out you should look into getting some stone sleeves and and that way your skin temperature doesn't affect the tacky because tackies i have issues with tacky where i have in the past mm -hmm. uh, when i was training for the royal albert hall he told me the axle deadlift is a deficit deadlift and if i didn't know that then i would have had my suit on tight and i wouldn't have been able to get down to the bar um, things like um the monster dumbbell at shaw it was three inches wide so I shoot him a text. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> He's like, oh, don't worry. You'll be fine. Just make sure it's stable. It's the same. Um, the Hummer tire deadlift. I was texting between every attempt. And basically it was just keep doing every way. I, I, I was the only one to do a thousand, not because I thought that's what would give me the best placing, but because I've never used the Hummer tire before. If I have the opportunity to, to go for five pulls rather than four, that's just another rep of experience on the implement. So if I was just off on my own doing all of this, I'd be a little bit more emotional about it. And I'd go, no, I'm not trying a thousand. I'm going from 900 to 1050 to 1100. And if I did that, I probably would have got, I probably would have got 1100, but then you zoom out and you're like, okay, that would have given you one more points, no better placing. And you still don't know what you're doing with the Hummer tire. <laughs> so he's been, he's been in value. Well, big loss. He's a, he's a pretty cool guy, man. Um, so this is another good question that I've been um, I've been asking. Um, but I, I think I already kind of know what you're going to say. But again, I'm still going to ask it. But in your opinion, is starting in other disciplines better for strongman than just starting in strongman? <laughs> That's a pretty obvious answer for me, isn't it? <laughs> I think from a lot of perspectives, our soft tissue really doesn't develop until we're much older. And I think if you're starting in the strength sports when you're a teenager, uh, you're, you're much more prone to injury because your, your muscle, it has, it has blood supply. 
and your ligaments and tendons, they don't. By nature, blood supply is how we get our nutrients and how our tendons and ligaments get nutrients is through changes in pressure. And those changes in pressure don't come as abundantly as blood flow does. And that means that your soft tissue is always going to adapt at a slower rate than your active tissue or your muscle. And if your muscle is adapting faster, plus puberty, when your muscle is already predisposed to adapting faster, you're just going to create such a huge discrepancy between your muscular strength and your tenderness capabilities that things like ruptures are just way too common, way too, way too high risk. And I think we see that with a lot of guys who start young and um, Luke Richardson's a, a good example at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Luke came in the yeah, strongman team really fast. And of course he's kind of been plagued, but right now he's been pretty uh, consistent in terms of getting a, at least a couple blocks and healthy. So I, I hope the best to see him on the, on the big stage soon. Um, so um, this is again, another interesting one. Um, and kind of starting out. So you started, of course, you started powerlifting before you started strongman in, in 2019, right? You started strongman in 2019. Um, so were there any strength athletes that you admire or inspire to when you first started out? And of course, kind of when you think of this question, like for instance, when I started the strong man, of course, I loved like Zydrunas. I love marriage Pujanowski, but as I got more involved in the sport, like Eddie and Thor were great, but I also really admire, um, a lot of like the 105 Olympic lifters, like Dmitry Klokov and Ilian Iliad and like Donnie Schenkel. He's an American, uh, 105, but he was one of my favorites kind of starting out. But was there any inspirations, uh, when you were first starting out when it came to like strength athletes? I love how excited you are about it all. <laughs> love, <laughs> I love lifting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I've never put a lot of weight into celebrity people. Yeah. I, I don't want to, admire someone who I don't know because you don't know what you admire about them just because they they're strong I don't I don't admire someone simply for being strong I, I certainly admired how people did certain events like Kieliszkowski uh, how he moves his, his next level um, you know someone like Big Z pressing really well but my initial thoughts around certain strongmen were like I really respected Big Z for doing a lot of other things with his life other than strongmen um, I I didn't know what to think of Brian Shaw because I didn't know much about him other than he was world's strongest man. Um, yeah. Same thing. Kujanowski. I still couldn't tell you what I think about Kujanowski because I, I don't know him. I haven't heard much about him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you meet someone like uh, Brian and, and Kerry and you see how they treat people. You see how they treat their family. And now I probably respect Brian more than anyone else in the strength world right now because of how he behaves. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Luke Stolman. Like, Luke Stoltman is is such a, a class act, and I've told him this before. When I was sitting at, at Worlds, I sat at the end of breakfast. Was the first meal we were all there for. Now he's I, like, he's like, hello, Mitchell. Hello, Mitchell. How are you? <laughs> um, breakfast was the first meal that we were all there, and I sat at the end of the table or end end of the breakfast line, sort of, so I could say hello to everyone. And he was the only one who made the effort first to come say hello, knew who I was. Little things like that, little things like like just showing people general respect. I admire strongmen for that. I don't really admire strongmen for their performances per se. Mm, I like it. So, of course, the, not only performances, but also the character of the individual. More, more so the character, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Which is actually, that's the reason I, I, I love strongmen. I'm still in strongmen as well, because there's so many people of high character. There's so few people of low character that I've met. And that's just, it's just contagious people to be around. Absolutely. And of course, that's one of the reasons why the sport is growing more and more, just more good role models. Um, so last of the kind of like the serious questions, but when everything is all said and done, what are you looking to achieve? I just want to impact as many people as I can in a positive way. And that's, that's the goal of my life. I, I think my objective with anything is to give back more than was given to me. And in my life, that's, that's next to impossible. I grew up very privileged. And a lot of people sacrificed a lot of things for me to have a comfortable life. Uh, but, you know, in the strongman world, I think I have a great opportunity to, you know, with my team, for example, I, I do everything I can to make sure that they're brought together and facilitate that community, even though it's all online. Uh, and I think being able to expand that, have a positive impact on people. And how cool is it that right now I could just, go up and say hello to someone and say, thank you for being here. 
and that's like that made their day. For example, I was I was at uh, at Worlds. I was hanging out with uh, Alexi, or not Worlds, sorry, Shaw. Hanging out with Alexi and Luke, and I went to the hotel bar just to order some food. I went to sit down, and these fans had like cleared up a spot for me to sit with them. We're like, oh, come over here, sit with us. And so I sat with them and had normal conversation, had my food. And the next day at the VIP meet and greet, they were like so thankful, so blown away that I gave them the time to go sit with them. And like, there are so many opportunities like that that I just want to make the most of every single one of those and make the largest positive impact that I can. That that is ter- that is terrific. Um, and that is a great, also a very great answer. So I hope you guys were listening again, making positive changes in people's lives. So starting to wrap up, Mitch, um, what's on the, so you mentioned a little bit, but what's on the horizon for the rest of the year and what are you, what are you looking forward to? Well, I just, I just pulled out of Canada's yesterday, uh, which is happening next weekend. It just wasn't the right decision for me right now. Um, my calf is, not 100%. It's a safety decision as much as an injury decision. It's not going to affect my training. I'm just nervous about competing at that level. Uh, then in September, I have the Arnold UK. Uh, I'm really excited for that one. Based on the events, the lineup, uh, I think everything points in the direction of that being my first professional win, um, if you want to call that one professional. Um, then I have an undisclosed competition. <laughs> undisclosed. I like in, it. In in October. Uh, and then uh, I think it's, it's diving into an off season and uh, working to build up the business here um, and letting the body rest, recover, get ready for next year, uh, work on a couple of weaker points with laws and uh, kind of have some time to digest what the hell's going on. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. any, any sponsor shout outs, any, any, any plugs that you want to tell the people? Yeah, servers servers is treating me really well from very early on. My code is Hooper H O O P E R. Uh, if you guys use that, save a bit of money. It also supports me. Uh, I have a company in uh, Southern Ontario called Bolton Foods who helps me out. They give me all my meat. The gym that I go to here is called Athletic Culture. They've been next level. They built me my own stone platform. Let me bring in all my strongman kit. Uh, and between the three of them, it's it's been super helpful. The, the last one is, uh, it's called Leafy Gains. They're vegan cookies for, for strong men. We really don't get in the uh, vegetables and micronutrients that we need. Uh, and these are really good protein cookies um, that very easily get in micronutrients without having to chew on lettuce and tomato and all that boring stuff. That, that's awesome. But uh, don't forget, guys, to follow Mitch on Instagram. Follow his YouTube so you can so you can stay out up top of his strongman journey and he's also taking clients so don't forget or don't miss out on the chance to be coached by him and don't forget to like comment subscribe notification bell on this on this on this episode tell your friends tell your family and mitch you have the last word uh thank you very much for having me on Uh, my motto is lift heavy be kind and uh, the latter is more important than the former so treat people well put smiles on people's faces and uh, make a positive impact in the world